Well, God is good. I know that our church, that all of us, we are better people. We are a better church because of those people up there. And I am thankful for each and every one of them and how they have impacted us as a community. Um, And hopefully today, and what we talk about is simply a reflection of I think it'll be a reflection of their lives, and it wasn't necessarily drawn up that way, but I think God works that way, and it will appropriately fit into what we have to talk about today. Well, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Pastor Jay. I'm the youth pastor here at Westchester, and while I'm used to talking with kids, and I love talking to the teens, I love hanging out with them, I'm always privileged to have the opportunity to be on this platform and and share some good news with you. And, and so I want to jump right in to what God has for us today. In third grade, I played football. Now, whether I was good or not, we don't need to talk about that. But in third grade, I played football. And who I looked up to the most in third grade, I was an Indianapolis Colts fan. You know, Bengals, they weren't much then. Browns, I, I knew to stay away. My dad was a Browns fan at the time. So I went with the next closest team, the Colts. And Peyton Manning and Marvin Harrison, I thought I was them. And so in my room as a third grader, I would get into the corner of my bedroom with my mini football. And first, I would start out as Peyton Manning. So I'd take the ball. Jeff Saturday would snap it to me. And I'd lob it up. I'd take two or three steps, and then I would dive onto my bed and catch the ball as Marvin Harrison. And I would look at the Colts' schedule, and I would play in my imaginary mind through the whole season. I never lost. Man, I was good. But Marvin Harrison and Peyton Manning, they were influencers for me in third grade. In fifth grade, my sister went to a tournament down in Houston, Texas, and brought me back a Yao Ming jersey from the Houston Rockets, and I immediately fell in love. And so between Tracy McGrady and Yao Ming, I love the Rockets, and in fifth grade, playing basketball, that's who I wanted to be. Same thing, I had a hoop up in my room, and first I would post up and turn around and just dunk it without jumping, like Yao Ming, and then As Tracy McGrady, the shot clock would be going down, and I would hit the last second shot always to win the game. And once again, walk away with the perfect season. In high school, I got into golf. I loved golf. I still love golf. And Jason Day and Phil Mickelson absolutely influenced my game. Um, No, not because I'm anywhere close to as good as them, but I definitely wanted to be like them. I wanted to be like Phil Mickelson, who would be 10 yards from the green, with a 64-degree lob wedge, take a full swing, skyrocket the ball into the air, and it would land 10 yards in front of him, softly on the green, and roll out towards the pen. And I wanted to bomb my drives like Jason Day. And these people were influencers in my life. These people's professional careers influenced my dreams. My dreams to be the best wide receiver in third grade, the best basketball player in fifth grade, and definitely the best golfer in high school. But, but as I've gotten older, I've realized, I've realized two things about this idea of influence. The first thing is, you never get so old that you no longer need to be positively influenced. You never reach an age where you no longer need a mentor. You never get to a point where nobody needs to speak life into you. 
The second thing I've realized is that you are never too young to be a positive influencer to someone else. Um, as a 24-year-old, it's only within the last four years that I think I've realized the second one and believing that maybe even somebody like me can have a positive influence on somebody like you. But with this realization has um, come, I think, a charge, definitely from God in my life, to be that positive influence to other people. Um, there's different ways that we hope to display that within our youth group and obviously within um, the ministry taking place here. And one way is, I'm, I'm going to bring up my buddy Zach Caddy here, a special guest for us. And one way is through internships. Um, when I was in school, uh, I interned at multiple different churches. And this year, we have the privilege of Zach Caddy interning with us. Would you guys just give him a welcome round of applause, please? Yeah. Um, Zach is going into his senior year at Mount Vernon. He is studying to be in youth ministry. He likes all sorts of sports. He's very active at the university. Um, and we are, man, we are just thrilled to have you on board here. I'm excited to learn and to grow together. Um, now, what you don't know, Zach, is there's a reason I brought you on stage. Did you know that you were my first ever intern? Like, ever? Really? You're in trouble, is what I'm trying to tell you. So, I brought you on the platform, so that way, next week, when you're wondering what you got yourself into, now the whole church knows you're an intern here. So, but make sure you welcome Zach. Don't give him too hard of a time. He's going to do some great work here, and we're excited to have him. You can take a seat, Zach. Thank you, man. So today begins our new series, Passing the Baton, and um, I apologize in advance because the analogies that I'm going to incorporate in today go beyond passing the, the baton, and, and you'll see how those tie into the message. But over the course of this series, we're going to look at 2 Timothy. We're going to look at the whole book. So today, we're going to get the big picture. We're going to get the big idea as we talk about the importance of influence, especially as it relates from Paul and his ministry to Timothy. And then in the following weeks, Pastor Alex is going to take a look at very specific chapters and develop for us um, this idea of influence, this idea of investing in people and passing the baton to those that come behind us. If you're taking notes today, today the title of today's sermon is called Trailblazers. Um, but before we jump into the text for today... I want two questions to guide us as we think through, as we process together what Paul wants to say to us. So here's the two questions that I want you to write down either in your brain or on your notes that are going to guide us for today. First one, whose trail are you following? Whose trail are you following? Second one is like it. What trail are you leaving behind? Whose trail are you following? Question number one that's gonna guide us. The second question, what trail are you leaving behind? Let's jump into 2 Timothy, um, yeah, 2 Timothy chapter three. We're gonna read through the first nine verses together and it'll be up on the screen for you. Paul says to Timothy, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, 
disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Paul continues, they're the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. These are men of depraved minds who, as far as faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not go very far because as in the case of those men, their follow will be clear to everyone. This passage doesn't leave us jumping with joy. In fact, if I were Timothy receiving this letter from Paul, I, I think it would be three verses in where I would say to Paul, okay, I get it, you've, got, you've said enough, you've gone down enough of the list, I, I understand where you're going with this. There's gonna be a lot of sin, there's gonna be a lot of foolish things that people are participating in. Paul, I, I get it, okay? But Paul goes on for eight verses describing all these terrible things, these terrible sins. He, he not only makes a list, he, he goes into unnecessary detail for Timothy, uh, describing how these people are going to operate and how the minds and the hearts of these people are displayed. And honestly, the description is a, a little disturbing. But Paul has a point here, as Paul always does, and Paul has a reason. There's a reason that nearly 20% of the verses in this book come from this mindset and have a look, take a look at the negative side of things. Paul does this, Paul says this in order to demonstrate and warn Timothy of the dozens, of the hundreds, of the probably thousands of negative influences that can sway us, that are begging for our attention, that are, are begging for us to give them a try. And these, these sins aren't listed to represent an array of mistakes that people have made. We've We've all made mistakes in some manner, and Paul talks about those in other letters. But these, these portray paths, trails that, that people have taken. We know this to be true, because look at verse 8. Paul says, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. And, and this oppose, especially when looking at this text, similar to how it operates in English and how it operates in the, Gle in the Greek, this is talking about neglecting, this is present tense, neglecting a way of life in order to take on another way of life. This isn't just, hey, you did this one time. This is, this is how these people are operating in their day-to-day. -day. Look at these ways of life again. Lovers of money, proud, ungrateful, unholy, without love, slanderous, 
unforgiving, and I, I could continue like Paul, but you get the point. Paul is urging Timothy to be aware of these things. And these are ways of life that people are choosing to follow every single day. And the reason that Paul is urging, that Paul is exhausting his mentee Timothy with this list is because Paul, or maybe we should say Saul, has been down many of these trails himself and knows the negative effect it can have. Um, Something that Faith and I love to do, and we did a lot of this in Pennsylvania, is hiking. Hiking just replenishes every part of my body, physically, emotionally, spiritually. I love going out and hiking and exploring new trails and seeing God's creation. And it's just a way to forget, honestly, about all of my responsibilities, especially when you don't have cell phone reception. Nobody can reach you. And so we love doing that. And before hiking, because of my personality, I'm, I'm going to plan the hike out. I want to look at the terrain, and I'll get a book. Um, Daryl Dotson often loans me some of his hiking books to take a look at, and I map the trail out. What I've noticed, though, and I, I think my wife can attest to this, is what brings me energy and what rejuvenates me and what gets my adrenaline pumping is not when we walk the whole trail, we stay on trail, we get to our destination and come back. It's when you go exploring. Here's what that means for me. When I'm hiking and I see a sign that says, danger, keep left, I go right. Because I want to know what's up. When I see a sign that says, danger, steep rocks and cliffs ahead, I am sprinting past that sign to see what looks, to see the thing that they want me to avoid. This is what brings me energy. This is what gets my adrenaline going. I love to explore these areas that, where all the danger signs are. It's like they're inviting you. They're letting you know where all the fun actually is on the trail. Whenever Faith sees one of those signs, she operates a little differently. She looks at me and she says, don't you even think about it. because she knows exactly what's going through my mind. And of course, her and I go back and forth. I try convincing her I'm Tarzan and she talks to me like I'm Jane. But we usually meet somewhere in the middle. I can go halfway, I can climb half of this rock but don't go to the very top. We usually meet in the middle. But something I've learned that really helps my side of the argument, and so I, strategically, uh, usually work through this, is if we're debating about how far I should go or if we should actually go down this trail, and somebody else, while we're having this debate, has the same idea and walks down that trail we're not supposed to go down, that really helps my side of the argument. I say, Faith, look, they're going down that trail. Why can't we? If he can do it, I can do it. Faith, don't you think I'm more athletic than him? Let me, show, let me show everybody, Faith, you have the more masculine husband, okay? And how I can climb faster and I can do it better than he can. Okay, that, I'm exaggerating a little bit. It, it doesn't get that extreme or get to that point. But you get the point. If I see someone go down the trail before me, I am much more inclined to go down the trail myself. 
whether it's a good trail, whether it's a bad trail or negative trail, danger trail, I'm much more inclined to go down myself. This is what Paul is doing in this passage. Paul is providing us with danger signs, letting us know if you go down this trail, there's danger. And these signs are saying, danger, keep out, danger, avoid this trail at all costs. But if we're being honest with ourselves, sometimes these danger signs, for some reason, can be a little enticing and kind of beg for our detention, uh, attention and, and gets our adrenaline going. And we want to entertain what's behind that sign and what's down that trail. I want to talk about two dangerous trails with you today. Trails that Paul has provided signs for. He staked them in the ground. He's told his mentee, Timothy, watch out for these signs. Don't go down this trail. But for some reason, in our culture today, some of these signs seem to resemble, at least in our minds, green lights more than they resemble stop signs. And so I want to talk about two of those dangerous trails that we often walk down today. Dangerous trail number one is this, pride. Dangerous trail number one is pride. Paul says it this way, he uses the words, lovers of themselves, boastful and proud. Maybe you've heard pride described as the root of all evil. When pride guides us, pride defeats us. Pride is, maybe you've heard why the apple was eaten in the Garden of Eden in Genesis. But maybe the biggest reason we need to be aware of pride and avoid pride is because of what the opposite of pride is. And the opposite of pride is humility. Salvation in your relationship with Jesus begins with humility. And if the opposite of the humility is pride, then I want to be a, as far away from that trail as I can. But yet it's one that always invites us, it seems enticing, everybody's doing it, everybody operates that way. But I want to operate in humility. So that's dangerous trail number one. Dangerous trail number two, denying God's power. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. This is what Paul says to Timothy. I know, I know way, way too many Christians. Yes, Christians, or, or people who on some level have accepted Jesus into their life and have a relationship with Jesus, but don't believe in the full power and the full ability to Jesus to totally transform their life. We are missing that today, and it has to stop. There is way too many people walking down this trail that they say yes to Jesus but don't believe what Jesus is fully capable of in their own life and in this world. Uh, yesterday morning in, in prayer meeting, Jerry Dockery was even talking about this as it relates to prayer. And so we, we talked about a, a little bit. I just, we pray, I find ourselves praying to a God that we don't fully believe will step up to the plate. And I understand doubt, and I understand times of questioning that, but it's like we've lost hope. Our prayers can become a spiritual box we check off instead of a life-giving practice that we immerse ourselves in. We cannot lose sight of God's 
power. The power to forgive, the power to redeem, the power to set us free, to transform, to heal, to answer prayers. We can't go down this trail anymore. So Paul spends time warning Timothy of the bad news. But in the next few verses, Paul appropriately brings Timothy back to the good news. Take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, and these are the next eight verses, verses 10 through 18. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of. Because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are capable, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God, you and me, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul's laid out the danger signs, but he's given us all the warnings, but now, now Paul in this scripture, he's marking the path. He's marking the path, whether it's hiking, whether it's driving, whether it's in a race, there's, there's things in each of those that mark where we're supposed to go. So for hiking, you'll see a colored paint hash on trees to mark where you're supposed to go. Um, this is called a blaze. Maybe you heard of trailblazers, right? And they go and they mark, looks like that. And if you see that sign on the right side, you know you're going down the right path. Uh, and a track race, there are stripes, colored stripes that show you your lane, that circulate the track to show you where you need to go. Or in a marathon, it's often barriers or various buildings and often people that show you where to go. On the road, it's yellow and white lines that show you one lane from another so you don't interfere or show you the right side of the lane and where that ends so you don't go into the ditch, right? All of these mark our path and show us where to go. And that is what Paul is doing. Paul's already put up all the caution signs. Now he's laying down the road. He's laying down the map of where we need to go. I mentioned this earlier. If someone goes down a path marked danger, keep out then the odds of us following them increase. We're more likely to go down a path if we've seen somebody go down it, if we're seeing somebody go down that path. But what I love about influence, and I think Paul knows this about influence as well, is that influence works both ways. Sure, people can influence us toward dangerous things, towards the wrong path, but have we forgotten 
that a trail and that a life and that a path marked out for Jesus is absolutely influential. Have we forgotten about the power? Have we forgotten about the influence of those who follow Jesus? You know, I'm, I'm forced to think about the names that we just saw on the screen that we read for Memorial Roll. I know Paul is right, and I know that you know Paul is right because, because each and every one of us are better because of those people. The trail that they have set before us and that they have gone down has influenced you and has influenced me. And we are better off because of it. And I, I could go down, I could go down the line of people and ask you and say, ask the people in this room, one after the other, and all of you could tell me ways that you better reflect Jesus because of the way that they reflected Jesus. We can't lose sight of that. We cannot forget that. Look, look at verse 14. But as for you, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. Everybody is learning from somebody. Therefore, we have to ask ourselves, whose trail am I following? Who am I being influenced by? I know I shared you, with you my temptations when hiking. When I see a danger sign, man, it's like an invitation card for me. But when I'm with a, a group of teens, or if I'm the leader of a group and I'm responsible for people's like, well-being and life, I'm the polar opposite. I'm, I'm like the parent who like, sends their kid out wrapped in bubble wrap when they go outside to play. Like, I, I get so nervous that something might happen. I mean, nobody wants to be the youth pastor who went on a trip with 15 kids and came back with 14. Um, that's like my biggest concern. So, well, maybe sometimes I wish. But um, I imagine it's the same as parents. Uh, alone, when we see that no one is watching, that our kids aren't following us at that moment, we seem to be a, maybe a little more willing to entertain these dangerous trails these things that Paul has given us warning signs for. But when we know our kids are around, when we know that somebody is watching us, that somebody is watching you, we wouldn't even glance at that trail. We don't even lean toward that path, but we avoid it at all costs. We act like it doesn't exist. We do our very best to lead our very best when we know our kids are watching, when we know people are following in our footsteps, when we know that in about 80 yards, I'm gonna have to pass this baton. That's when we do our very best, when we know that somebody is relying on us to blaze the trail towards Jesus Christ, and that makes all the difference for us. This isn't just a message for parents, this is a message for the whole church. Folks, every single one of you are marking a trail that people are following. At work, at home, in the community, at the grocery store, how you respond to the waiter and waitress, you are marking a trail that people are watching. 
because all of us are influencers and influenced by somebody. Claire Vogelman, you better believe the younger girls look up to you. Keep running toward Jesus. Rick Beavers, you've already made an incredible impact in this community and in this church. Keep following Jesus. Ralph and Dale Funderburg, you better believe people see you serving nonstop at this church. Please keep setting that example. All of us are setting an example. All of us are on a trail, but what trail are you leaving behind? If somebody were following your trail, would that person be following Jesus? If somebody were following your example, would you be confident enough to say, you know, I know they're following Jesus. What I love about the Christian faith and our God, our creator, is that God chooses, he doesn't have to, God chooses to use us. And a sermon like this is 100% grounded on that idea, that God works through us to be examples and to be influencers in God's kingdom. And that is so humbling to me. Knowing that me, messed up me, sometimes proud me, sometimes tired me, can be used by Christ to be an example for somebody else. But it would be foolish of me, it would be foolish of me to talk about how we need to follow people of great example without bluntly saying that ultimately, ultimately we need to follow Jesus. Plain and simple, the Jesus we see in God's word, the Jesus we see in Paul, the Jesus we see in Timothy, the Jesus that you see in your mom, that you see in your dad, that you see in your connection leader, that you see in your mentor. God's kingdom is all about using people who reflect Jesus to bring more people to Jesus. And so my cop out closing here is that you need to follow Jesus because you might be the only reflection of Jesus to somebody in your life. You might be the only one that they see go down a different trail while they have been running full speed past these danger signs. All of a sudden they see somebody, you, respond differently. And they're forced to turn and say, what, what trail are they headed down? I don't know if I've noticed that path before, but I kinda wanna know what it's like. Um, Ushers and band, you can come come forward at this time. As we prepare for communion, you know, we've done a a lot of remembering today. Adam, in the beginning, we talked about Memorial Day and, and celebrating that tomorrow and remembering those who have gone before us. We had our memorial roll, but, We would be foolish not to remember one more thing. We would be foolish not to remember one more thing. One more sacrifice. There are a lot of great people that have gone before me, people whose legacy and trail I would love to follow, but their legacy and the path they've created only has value because it was a life and a path that reflected the life and path of Jesus. As we take communion today, I want us to remember that path. I want us to remember that life, the path 
that led Jesus to pay the ultimate sacrifice so that you can also walk down that path and so that you also can have life. Um, if you're new with us today, I, I just wanna go ahead and say that the table is open. Jesus invites all of us to participate. He only asks that we do so in remembrance of him. So at this time, the ushers are gonna pass out communion. And as they do, remember Jesus, the one who paved the trail and who's paid the ultimate sacrifice.